Welcome to Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. In this podcast, I chat to athletes, coaches, and industry professionals about their sporting journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. Guests range from Olympians to the everyday lover of sport, but the message stays the same. There is so much more to sport than what meets the eye. Make sure you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow on Spotify so you don't miss the release of each new episode. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. I'd love to hear from you. This week's guest is Australian track cyclist Gordon Allen. Back only a few months after his first Paralympic Games, Gordon takes us through the interesting way of how he got started in cycling. I'll give you a hint, it had something to do with his friend's mountain bike and a grassy hill. Gordon represented Australia for the first time in soccer in 2015 before later making his international cycling debut in 2018, posting a world record time in 2019. In this episode, Gordon takes us through some of the mental tricks he's learnt through his time as an athlete and how he implements them into life outside of sport. There's a few deep reflections in this chat and I hope you enjoy listening as much as I did recording. Gordon, can you tell us a little bit about your sport and how you got into it? I know that you did a few sports in your early years. Yeah, so my sport is cycling, uh, specifically track cycling is sort of my main event. Uh, I'm a paratrack cyclist for the Australian cycling team and uh, the New South Wales Institute of Sport. Uh, so my my main event or what I went over to Tokyo for was the, the one kilometre time trial, which it's a sprint event. So it's four laps around the velodrome as fast as you can pretty quick event and it's over fairly fast <laughs> so yeah that's that's in short that's pretty much my event I do road cycling as well to sort of build up the fitness but mainly mainly just do the the track in terms of competing internationally I went into cycling in a bit of a bit of a funny way I sort of like my, like most kids I like started riding a bike when I was sort of like four or five um, but I couldn't get off training wheels with my cerebral palsy so like when my friends all sort of got off training wheels I sort of didn't want to be behind so I like put the bike aside and pick up like started riding a scooter or whatnot for a few years and it wasn't until like 11 or 12 we're like playing in the park with some mates and my mate had his mountain bike and he dared me to ride his bike down at this grass hill and I was like all right right why not I got like dead I'm like I can't turn down there um so I ended up riding his bike down this big grass hill stayed upright and realized that I could sort of do it and that I had the balance um so I sort of yeah fell into cycling a bit late that way for like the next few years, I was just like riding, I guess, like pretty casually, like sort of just for fun, like had a mountain bike, um, sort of ride with my mates and that sort of thing. And then saw Paralympics Australia, they do like these talent search days. Mm-hmm. So you can like, it's like a sports draft where you can, they advertise a few different sports. You can go in, try some, like try something like they might so advertise table tennis, swimming, stuff like that. But they had cycling there. And I, at the time I enjoyed riding a bike and I was like, well, why not ride a bike fast? Sounds like pretty much pretty like a bit of fun. So yeah, I, I turned up, did some testing and yeah, they said that something that you might be suited at. So I sort of slowly fell into the sport that way. Oh, that's awesome. And you said that you, you know, kind of started off a little bit on the road. Was that just the way that the cycling evolution goes? Like you usually start on the road and then you make your way to the track? Yeah. Yeah. Well, tracks, tracks a bit more specific, like the track bikes that we have they have no brakes on them and they've only got like sort of one gear. So you can't really ride them on the road. So like your, your road bikes, like the general bikes that you can ride a lot on, but you've actually got to pretty much buy another bike to get onto the track. So for most people that get into cycling, you start off on the road anyway. It's like the, 
the more, I guess, more accessible avenue and you can do a lot more with it. While like track is very sort of narrow and you can really only like ride sort of on velodromes. Yeah. And it's interesting that like they're kind of the two opposites in terms of like road cycling is kind of a bit more endurance based, whereas track's very sprinty. Yeah. Yeah. There's sort of, there's a bit of, a bit of length in there, but yeah, like there's most of it is sort of, yeah, quite short, quite short, sharp events, I guess. Is it like the short and sharp ones that you enjoy more or it's just like naturally talented at it? Yeah, it was, it was a way sort of as like after a few years sort of thing with the Australian team, with the para team, you don't get into the national team until you're 18. So you've got to be a minimum of 18 years of age. So like when I finished high school, we sort of did a bit of like sort of specific training and then some testing because I wanted to, once I finished high school, I wanted to like get in the national team because I was like 18 then I'd finished my HSC. So we sort of spent a few months doing like specific training and then did like a bit of testing. And I was closer to the sprint events at that time that I was in the road events. So I was like, all right, well, to sort of get into the national team and then to get the support, it's probably best to go down this path first. So yeah, that's sort of how I fell into the track side of things. Yeah, it's really cool that, you know, they were able to give you that uh, support and like do the testing to find out what yeah. you're good at. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was, it was good because like we sort of weren't sure where where to go I guess and it was like because once you get into the national team then you sort of get picked up by the the state institute of sport but got to, it's weird at the moment you've got to almost make the national team before you get sort of the support by the state for the institute so it was like to get there we had to do that first so yeah that was it was a good challenge yeah it sounds pretty good now I understand that you represented Australia in soccer in 2015 as well is that true yeah how was yeah, how so that so had- it's very different to cycling yeah, yeah. So I was playing sort of since I was six, playing with my mates. My dad played, so like just naturally I played. And yeah, it was just like club football and whatnot. And through the para, through the para sports, they have like a the national team. It's like a silver palsy national team, so a seven aside team, paraus. So I was sort of involved with them, sort of pretty young, like when I was sort of eight or nine or ten. I sort of found them as like a state team, so started playing with them. And they had, yeah, in 2015, there was sort of, while I was playing for the state team with them, um, there was the opportunity to send over an under-19s team to these to these world games. So, yeah, I was pretty lucky to pretty lucky to do that. It was, a, it was a pretty cool experience over in England. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Do you happen to know, because my first ever guest was Matt Holland. So he plays for the Victorian team. And I think he hasn't made a national team yet, but he, yeah, he's on the Vic team. You don't, don't know him? <laughs> I know the name. I know the name. Oh. Um, I know that. Yeah, I think I remember the name only because I'm. I think I'm mates with one of his mates. Yeah, sort of thing from um South of Show. But like we sort of when we have nationals, we all sort of all the teams kind of hang out and they all sort of know each other. Um, when I was there, when I was sort of playing with them, so like yeah, you sort of know most of the guys. Well, yeah. you know all of them, I guess. What a small world, um, isn't that yeah. crazy? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Very, very crazy. So you represented Australia, I guess, for the first time in soccer. Was there like a moment other than riding down that grass hill on your mate's mountain bike that you were kind of like, I love cycling? No, I don't I don't think so. I think like like learning or I guess riding a bike at like a later age, it sort of like I had this sort of feeling that I like I enjoyed it. Like it wasn't something that I did when I since I was little. Like it was mm-hmm. something new and something fresh. So it was something that was like cool, I guess. And it almost gave me like this sense of like freedom that you could like get on get on your bike and go for a ride and you can go for a few hours and you end up sort of whatever 30 30 Ks away or something like that. So yeah, I don't think it like there was like a time I was like, oh okay, I really like cycling. It just sort of grew and sort of as I developed and sort of 
learned more about the sport and like got older, I like started to enjoy it more and more. No, there was no like real sort of turning point, I guess. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned the just exploring your area and, you know, three hours and you could end up 30Ks away or or whatever, because that's what actually my partner likes is that you can just ride left or right and you end up in a different place and you can take almost a different pathway each time. So yeah, it must yeah. be a cycling thing that you can just explore a little bit quicker, but also not as fast as a car. So I guess you can absorb a little bit more on the way. Yeah, I guess it's similar. Like, I guess it'd be the same sort of feeling as how people like just going for a drive something like that you go for a drive to a spot um or you'd like ride you go for like a scenic route you go for a ride on a scenic route it's the same sort of thing yeah except when you're riding you're getting the endorphins in the fresh air <laughs> yeah that yeah you get a bit of that but like it's the same sort of thing I guess yeah another thing about cycling is the crashes has there been any like significant crashes or injuries like along your journey no luckily enough um knock on wood so far i've been i've been pretty good no broken bones like crashing's a part of the sport come down a few times but it's like just a few scars and a few cool stories but no nothing too seriously so far luckily enough yeah oh well that's good i know uh the first time i crashed my bike was last year and i like cried for a week about it about my little scraped up knee and my scraped up hip so no it's definitely not fun when you come off a bike i don't know how kids do it to be honest yeah no it's it's yeah try something I try and avoid yeah at all costs yeah do you yeah. kind of get scared in terms of like when you're on the track there's no brakes because I like like to hold on to my brakes when I'm riding my bike yeah it's something like at first that like yeah you sort of need to figure out I guess and it's like a weird feeling it's kind of like the track bikes are like I don't know if you've been on a spin bike in the gym mm-hmm. where it's like it's like that where it's sort of fixed so to slow down like you're only going as fast as you're pedaling in a yeah. way so to slow down, you almost have to like backwards push mm-hmm. in a way or like add resistance. So yeah, like that is the break, I guess. But you sort of, you learn, I guess you learn to be more agile or you learn that, yeah, you're not going to be able to stop. So you've got to, you've got to almost just like turn out the way or, or yeah, not put yourself in a position where you can't get trapped. But yeah, it was definitely like a big learning curve. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, like, I don't know if I could do it. But I think it's a certain skill set that you need. <laughs> But yeah, it took a while. <laughs> so you've had some other significant moments. I know 2018 was your first, I guess, Australian team. Like that was your first time representing for cycling. Uh, so that was at the Track World Champs and you were 19 years old. Is that right? Yeah, I would have been 2018. Yeah, yeah, I would have been 19. That was, what was that Yeah, like? it was over in Brazil. Very eye-opening, very eye-opening, I think. Like sort of looking back on it now, I was sort of like, I was very fresh to the sport, I guess. And I think it like showed in like my performance and sort of how I felt. It was like sort of the first time I'd been away from my parents for like a month. Cause we sort of, we had our, like you'd leave home. We had our training camp in Adelaide for two, three weeks. And then we went over to Brazil um, and it was like 30, 35 hours flying total time. Um, so it was like, yeah, all very new. And then, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty, it was a cool experience, but it was, like definitely an eye-opening experience of where I need to be if I want to sort of make it as mm-hmm. an elite athlete, I guess. Yeah. And then was it the next year you broke a world record? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. For, for a few moments. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now that was like the the first sort of, I guess I had a taste of the world the previous year. So I sort of knew what I was up for when I came in a lot more prepared and yeah, rode, rode like a massive PB. And then like the way, the way my event works, so it's everyone goes off sort of one after another. So Mm -hmm. it's one person on the track at a time and the fields for us are usually at least sort of 
20 or so 18 to 20 guys at least. So depending on where you're seated, depends on sort of when you go off. So like that year I was seated like third last sort of thing. So like I had to watch all these guys go before me and then I race sort of broke the world record and then sort of beat the guy, the guy who rode after me. So second last, he didn't beat my time. But then the guy that rode last sort of just pit me. Um, so it was like just at the end, but no, it was, I guess like my best performance at that stage. And I was yeah, really happy with how it went overall. Yeah, well, you still bet the world record and you, you held it momentarily. Yeah. <laughs> you still yeah. get a certificate for that. Like, do you still get, you know, the fact that you did beat the world record? Um, it is acknowledged. And then I think it does, it turns into like the Australian record anyway. So I don't think it, you don't, I don't know whether they give certificates anyway, but it, it was like acknowledged as a world record time. But then, yeah, it's set as the new Australian record. Oh, that's still pretty cool. Like what an so, achievement. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, no, it was, it was cool. Cause like when you, when you race, like they've got like the big like boards sort of at the track, like your big digital sort of scoreboards, I guess. And so like when you ride sort of thing, they're always placed. So as soon as you finish, you can almost look up and sort of see your time. Mm-hmm. So it's always like, it's sometimes it's like a bit of a sort of shock moment because I'll have like a WR next to your name or, or you'll have your time. Like, so yeah, like noticing the time and that sort of stuff, it was pretty good. Did you know at the time, because I came from a swimming background, so we have the same kind of scoreboard there and yeah. it's the same thing. You look, you finish the event and you look up and you're like, oh, I either went the time I wanted or I didn't. Did you know that like the world record time was within your reach or were you just like completely shocked at how big the PB was? Oh, uh, you have you have like a target time going in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sort of, I guess, underperforming like the previous year in my first world, I sort of didn't really know what to expect but like I wanted to sort of redeem myself so I had a target time in mind but yeah you never you never know with the event like because it's pretty much just it's in a blur like you don't really know whether you're on schedule or not because no one's like your coach isn't reading out your times it's pretty much just like four laps and them shouting at you to go faster (laughs) um so like you don't know really how you're performing until you look up afterwards so it's not like you sort of have a gauge of where you are so yeah it's always like a like a surprise moment either way yeah true true uh have you ever had like I guess you mentioned the year before those times where you look up and it's not what you want and you just like how do you handle that because I know personally I didn't always handle that the best way how do you handle like that moment especially when there's people around I think like I sort of like to like keep to myself I guess like I'll sort of come off the bike and you sort of you just sit down and you try not to think too much about it and I think like I try and like debrief with like my coaches and sort of with myself within the next day or so and then sort of move on because I think like for me it was sort of trying to when these events would happen or when I was learning from it and sort of finding out what worked well and what didn't I guess. Oh, yeah that's that's what you're told to do as a as a like that's what I tell kids to do as a coach but it's not always what I executed myself yeah. so it's good that you're able to you know try and put those plans in place even if it doesn't work every time like having that structure does help yeah yeah oh yeah it's, it's easy to say like in the moment you're I guess you're, you're disappointed but it's, it's hard yeah like I remember like times I've just sort of sat down and you just put the towel over your head in the pits and just sit to yourself and think for a few minutes mm-hmm. of like what else can you do yeah, well, I guess I was kind of lucky but, I was in a water sport. So if I was crying, no one really noticed. <laughs> um, so has there been any other like significant moments other than Tokyo, which we're going to touch in a moment, but has there been before, I guess this year, been other significant moments in your sporting journey? Oh, 
think like making like probably just making that first national team was mm. probably like the big the big one because like as I said we sort of we were chipping away like I sort of I was training I guess part-time like through school like you don't really train as full-time as you can because you've got to you're at school most mm. of the day and then you got homework and whatnot especially with HSC so like when I finished school and started uni I was like okay I'm giving myself 12 months here to make to make the team this is what I do and we, yeah, like me and my coach, we just sort of chipped away at it for, I guess, for 12 months. And it was a goal that I'd had previously for almost probably from like maybe the second year I got into cycling. Like once I found that it was an elite sport was to one day make the national team. So in a way, it was almost like a six-year journey rather than like a one-year journey. But yeah, to finally sort of know that I was in the mix internationally and that I was actually competitive and that it could be a chance that I'd go. I think like, yeah, my first team was probably the, it's probably the, the best experience bar, bar Tokyo. Yeah. So well, let's get into Tokyo. So what was it like? Like, how's the qualifying process go? Like, what was it like to qualify? So I was pretty sort of, I came in pretty well with timing uh, in terms of like, like I came in, I guess, at the start of the Tokyo cycle. Mm-hmm. So I think so 2018 would have been like the first year that Australia could accumulate points. Um, and the way it works for the cycling is that, your country like Australia will compete at a world championship or a world cup and the better they perform the more points they get and then the countries with the most points then it gets like divvied up on how many slots you can get for males and females so Australia we're pretty strong I think we're in the top five so we we did pretty well at like worlds and all that sort of stuff leading in so we were given seven male slots and five female slots and then it's pretty much up to Australia, like the Australian coaches to choose whoever they want. So it's not like, okay, if you medal an event, you're guaranteed. Mm. Um, obviously, if you're a world champion or if you're, if you're a strong athlete, your chances are higher. But it's not like you are guaranteed a spot by how you perform. Like you don't earn a spot in a way, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, so it's different um, to like the, the swimming, I guess, because the swimming, you have a qualifying yeah. time that you need to meet and you need to like usually place one or two to be able to get yeah, a spot. Yeah, no, so like, the 10 I guess the when they divvied it down or when they sort of narrowed it down to like the 10 guys going into seven slots all 10 had previously medaled at the world championships all were doing times that would be meddling oh no so <laughs> it was like yeah yeah so it was it was really close so like just before because we had worlds in Canada in 2020 just before COVID hit um we were, we were actually over there and this thing COVID started happening and we're like well it's this this is like they would like just started spreading in America and but I guess coming out of China and they were like sort of, oh, you might want to be worried about this here. You should wear a mask on the way home and this sort of stuff. And we're like, okay, this is a bit weird. Yeah. But yeah, so we had worlds then and then that was like two months later, like COVID sort of was in full swing. So we didn't have another competition after that. So that whole from like, I guess, March, March, 2020, we were sort of expecting some idea of the team and then they sort of just delayed it till pretty much, we didn't, they didn't pick a team until June this year. Far so <laughs> we were sort of, we had, yeah. So we, we had like, we had events sort of nationally, but it was just about almost like training for an extra 12 months without really knowing, like they had a short list of teams. So they probably had, I think it was like, yeah, 10 or 11 guys and seven or eight girls sort of thing. So they narrowed it down a little bit, but if somebody had put their hand up and put in a good time, then it would like, they might get added into the mix. So yeah, the the whole qualification process, it was it was pretty, I guess, pretty stressful. Yeah, it sounds stressful. What was it like when you found out you were on the team? 
I guess it was like a relief, like a big relief. Cause like I, I'd had an idea like a couple months sort of out from when they picked the day, the team, uh, you can, I was like, Oh, okay. You can start to sort of think about how everyone else is going and your chance at the medal. And you're like, okay, well my, my strengths versus their strengths and, and whatnot. And I was like, all right, I might be above this guy, but I'm not above this guy. Mm. Um, and this sort of thing. But yeah, like once once I got picked, it was like, okay, I can actually focus on going rather than like you, you you were focused on going, I guess, from the whole way, but it was like 100%. There was no doubt in the back of the mind. And yeah, it was just like, I guess it was just a relief. <laughs> it would have been, a, yeah, a huge relief. What were you thinking when you were leading into it? Because obviously like the Olympics went first. So you kind of knew what to expect in terms of like the village life. Were you a little bit like apprehensive about it? Yeah, so we we like the the cycling itself. We went actually in the village, so we were so the the velodrome was like two hours like southwest of mm-hmm. sort of the village. So they put all the countries in like a subsite. So I think like a sub like the cycling countries would be in like a subsite village. But the Australian Olympic team they decided to pay for their own hotel and sort of stay separate just because of COVID protocol and whatnot. So they were still in a, a hotel around the corner, but they weren't with the other countries. So we did, we did the same as them. So we sort of, we got a lot of information from them on what was happening. And I guess, yeah, watching like the Olympics, we were sort of, we were like worried as it was like starting, like, well, what happens if there's a lot of cases, what's going to happen with us? So I think, yeah, we were pretty surprised that I think most people were that like there wasn't a lot of cases and that it sort of it kept well contained, mm. but yeah, definitely like leading in and watching those guys sort of do it and compete. It was it was definitely nerve-wracking. Like I sort of, I watched some, I watched the Aussies race, but I didn't really watch the cycling just because like I'd be watching it and I noticed my heart rate was bumped, like, like just pounding because I was like, this is going to be me. I'm going to be racing <laughs> on this track in a month. And yeah, so it was, it was, I guess, yeah, good to watch, but also pretty nerve-wracking. Yeah, it would be. Were you guys like in a camp? Because was Sydney in lockdown then? I think Sydney might've been in lockdown. Yeah, yeah. So myself, and there's another a track athlete here um, as well, Amanda Reed. We both, we train together sort of as the two sort of sprint athletes in New South Wales. And we almost in a way got trapped here, I guess. Uh, they'd had plans to have a camp in Brisbane, like a pre-departure camp. And then, yeah, when the, when the big cases hit and sort of spread, it was like, it was pretty interrupted. It was pretty chaotic for a few months. Like I had to get exemptions to, to get to training, to get to the gym, to get to the track. So it was like sessions or weeks where, I wouldn't be able to go to the track until the new exemption was updated. Like every time they, I guess, implemented a new rule or a new restriction, I'd have to wait a few days before I could get back into training because I'd have to get like a piece of like a sort of approval to go back. So yeah, there was like times where I remember, I think like about a month out, I moved into like, I moved in an apartment so I could keep training. Um, but then once I moved into the apartment, I couldn't like, it sort of, it was about half an hour from my place. I still couldn't train. So I was in this apartment for like five days away from home but still not being able to like get into the training facilities I guess it was pretty chaotic uh, but the support network and the staff that were coaching me they were like pretty good so we'd like I'd be doing a session whether it was at the gym or at home they'd make something up anyway like I sort of I ended up doing gym in my garage and (laughs) I turned my bathroom into like a heat chamber um, yeah I think I read read that like you were putting heaters in the bathroom yeah yeah so we had because we had like we were doing heat acclimatization mm-hmm. um, to get into get used to being over there and racing uh, and that sort of thing. So 
the way that we usually do it is there'll be like a heat block and we'll be at the Institute of Sport and they'll sort of have like a heat chamber or they'll be in like a sauna and you sort of do sessions like that to acclimatise. But with that being shut, we sort of had to do it at home. So I, yeah, I went, they sort of gave me all the things. I like told me I needed advice. I went to Bunnings and bought like three of these heaters, sort of plugged them in in the bathroom and sort of had my bike in there and it got like 36, 38 degrees, just doing these efforts in like a small bathroom. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty chaotic. Oh gosh. But, well, you got to do what you got to do to get ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's cr- yeah. That, well, that's a crazy lead up. I hope, you know, your next lot of games might be a bit easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully fingers what, crossed. What was it like, I guess, in terms of like your own separate cycling village, you guys were not in the main village. Was it a good experience still? Like, what was it like at your first Paralympics? Yeah, I think I think it worked as a favour. Like it felt a lot like a world championships in a way because you could go there and you could like when we go to world sort of in our own hotel anyway. So you could go to your rooms and you could just sort of be by yourself and focus mm-hmm. on what you need to do without sort of having countries around you or like the fear of getting COVID, I guess. In that way it worked really well. And I think like hopefully there'll be many more years to sort of experience experience a, a village life when it's a bit more safer. But like I think for my performance and I know a lot of the other athletes are saying the same thing, especially not being able to compete overseas for 18 months anyway, like the whole mentally, the side of like having people around you and the pressure and all that sort of stuff to be able to just be, I guess, comfortable and sort of with those that, you know, it, it was good to, I guess, yeah, get the best out of myself. Yeah, true. It was a bit more of a homely environment, less, less like the yeah. biggest event in four years, more like world champs. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like you, as soon as you'd sort of like leave the hotel and you'd go to the village or you'd go to like the track or you'd go to where you're racing, you'd see all the other countries and you'd see the media and you'd see how big it was. But then you could go back to your hotel and like it just felt like the the hotel was like it was bigger because like we had like a like there's like a media sort of room in there and whatnot and like you people were doing interviews with Channel Seven and that sort of stuff. But it kind of just felt like a sort of we were spoiled in a nice hotel. So yeah, like you could. But I guess lock yourself away if you thought that you're getting overwhelmed by everything. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like it was almost yeah a benefit, especially for your first games, and you yeah. didn't have to deal with the cardboard beds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a bonus too. We actually had we the hotel that they chose um, was like really really nice, and we sort of got a bit of an authentic feeling, I guess, towards Japan. So like we got some like sort of authentic food, um, like the rooms were yeah really nice and sort of different so like we got to experience even though we couldn't really go anywhere we got to experience a little bit of like I guess their culture and they put a show on for us just before we left as well which was nice yeah so, oh that's fantastic yeah, it's it almost like cool. you got a better yeah. experience <laughs> yeah yeah well we we um because I didn't do the road events so I went because it was you have to do for the cycling you have to do two events mm-hmm. and then similar to the Olympics they were like shipping everyone off as soon as you pretty much finished so there was like a mid a midweek or a mid games charter flight back um, so we were on that. So well, I was on that. So I sort of flew back and stayed in like this hotel that was just outside of Tokyo. So it was like a pre-departure hotel with like the Paralympics Australia sort of staff. And they actually sort of let us, we were like had three days before the flight. So we were going in the village each day. So we sort of got to experience a bit of the village in the end, which was cool. Like we could sort of go in there and sort of hang out with the other guys. But yeah, I guess it was yeah good to have the best of both worlds and sort of hang out in the village for a bit and then go home 
Yeah, that oh, that sounds amazing. It sounds like, yeah, you did get the, the best of both worlds. And it yeah. kind of has crossed into my next question, which is like the benefits sport has provided you as an individual that's kind of transferred over to other avenues of your life. So has there been something or a few things that like you've learned from sport that have like transferred over and helped you in your non-sporting life? Yeah, I definitely like there's definitely been a couple. I think like probably the main one as like most athletes would say would be like time management <laughs> and like just balancing like life, I guess, um, outside of sport because like we like I train sort of I'm on the bike six days a week. I've got three gym sessions, sort of when it's like ramping up on top of that. And I try and manage like a social life and like hang out with family and friends and that sort of stuff. So I think, yeah, like just balancing sort of uni, I'll do part-time study at uni. So to balance that, it's good. Like I found that like leading into Tokyo, I had like the first half of the year, I decided to just study one unit because like it gave me, I guess, something to focus on outside of the training. And so like I knew that I had something else to do. So if I was like, if I had this homework or if I had like this assignment I had to do, then I knew I couldn't like procrastinate to do the training session because I knew I had to get to this assignment and vice versa. I knew I had to get this assignment done because at four o'clock I had to be out for training or something like that. So I think it helps with like the structure and sort of help me structure my day and like be an athlete, but also have other commitments. Like I think oh, I know athletes that sort of just train, but I think, yeah, for me, I like to have both because it like gives you that structure and it gives you like something else to do, I guess, and something else to, to fall on if like training isn't good so if like if I'm stressing about a training session I can go and do some uni work or if uni's sort of stressing me out if I've got a big exam I can like get on the bike and go for a ride and clear mm-hmm. the head so yeah I think definitely definitely that side of things has been really helpful yeah and having the both of them like I swam through most of my uni degree and yeah it is exactly that you kind of get to balance it out and go oh like I can't I can't focus on this assignment and so you'll go and train or vice versa you've had a really bad week of training or something and like you said it's just the fact that you can go oh well at least I'm doing good at uni (laughs) yeah 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 well it's like because it I feel like cycling like at times it can consume so much of like what you're thinking of and you need something else to think about otherwise you're just gonna if it's like if it's all going well then that's great but if it's not then I guess you feel like everything's going bad if you made your dominant thing in life is going bad yeah, yeah um so it's good to have like other stimuluses I guess but I think like as well like that kind of leads into the other thing that like that I found was like I used to sort of through high school I used to get like really stressed out like for example like I was bad like I would like get really nervous I wouldn't sleep the night before like just like high school tests and whatnot and it sort of it sort of started with uni as well until I like I guess made the made the national team and sort of started competing internationally and like the tools that we use to um, like with the sports psych to for myself like balance I guess the pressure to perform and that sort of things it is sort of I've used it to I guess sort of keep calm and sort of not stress out about exams or prepare adequately to not need to stress out so to use like that side of mindset things like if I'm like stressing out for an exam or whatever and I'll be like oh sort of like the exam the next day then I'll think oh well it's definitely not the competing at like I guess at world championships or now at a Paralympic games it's definitely not as stressful as that Mm. so like put it helps me put things in perspective like okay it's just another exam or like I've done I've been in much more stressful situations so if I can deal with those situations and get the best out of myself then why can't I do it like in everyday life 
Yeah. Oh, that is good. You know what? You are the first person to actually give that answer. And I really love it because I, I learned that a little bit from sport as well. Uh, it just helps, you know, give you that reality check and go, well, if I can do this, then of course I can do that. And yeah, like exactly. You, I couldn't have described it better myself. Like, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like it's, I think I, I sort of, it was something that just came to me gradually. Like you, like I was sort of just using the same, like it wasn't easy, but like you use the same sort of tools and techniques, I guess, that you'd use to like put yourself in the right mindset. And it's, it's really the same thing. And it's like, just like, that was probably one of the big things that I'd learned from my sports cycle was like, it's not going to come naturally. And you've just got to like chip away with it and practice it. And like, the more you do it, like the better, I guess, the better you'll be at it. It's like another skill. It's like training. It's like everything else that you do. Yeah, it's like a, a mindset muscle is how I yeah. how I describe it. Yeah. And like you, every yeah, exactly. time you try, even if you fail, you're getting stronger at it until you go, yeah. okay, well, I'm getting it four out of five times now. Like how, how good's that? Yeah, yeah, exactly right. You mentioned you were studying. So you're studying sport and exercise science. What made you want to do sport and exercise science? Uh, I think like I enjoyed like PE through high school, like that sort of thing. I enjoyed that side. But I think as well, like, I just since I was like little, I sort of just enjoyed sport. It's like whether it was like soccer or, or whatever, doing like school sport, I just enjoyed that side of things. And then as I got older, I guess, and going through high school and then sort of getting into elite sport myself, starting to learn about like the science side of it and mm-hmm. like what makes a person tick and how to improve yourself and sort of why, why your body works in a certain way, I guess. I just found that really interesting. So like when it was a, when I found out it was a subject or something that you could study at university, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. I found like it, it, I guess, gels pretty well. Like I've learned things from my uni that I used in my training and sort of I've learned things from training that like we'll go into uni and be doing like a practical and I'll be like, I've done this before. This is easy. Um, So yeah, there's like definitely a lot of crossover, which is cool. And does it help you learn it? I know I did a Bachelor of Sport Development. So it's kind of like the mix between sport management and like exercise science. Yeah. And when I was like able to do coaching or or even like my training myself, like you said, it's that mix. You're kind of like, oh, this is why we do that. Do you feel like it helps you like learn things yeah. quicker? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like we've had sort of assignments where you've had to like a gym, write a gym program or stuff like that. And that's when like, oh, okay, I've done this. So this is, I guess this is how it works or like you can transfer. I've done this in cycling. So that must be the, it's sort of similar in mm. another sport. Um, so that sort of thing. So yeah, definitely. I guess they've definitely learned from each aspect of it. Yeah. They kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do you have a, like an end goal where, where you want that degree to take you or do you just trying to see where you, where you fit in it? I want to, I want to do like more study. So I want to either sort of go, I'm not too sure, I guess like I haven't finished the course yet. Like I'm mm. in my sort of last year, I've only got I think five, five units left. So I'm sort of just chipping away at the end of it. But I think like after placement, I'm not sure that I want to do like more, more study and go through like pure physiology side or um, going to like the bio, biomechanics side of it uh, yet. So I'll have to sort of see, I guess, see what these final few subjects are like and, what placement's like and what I like to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't even know but yeah. when I finished my degree what I was going to end up in. So yeah. <laughs> you kind of just find your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. We'll have to see because, like, I don't think I'll be able to work full-time with training anyway. So it's like trying to find something that I guess is 
flexible. So whether it's just sort of slowly studying and picking up another degree, like a, a master's in something or finding like a, a place that I can work at that's understandable and flexible with the hours. Yeah. Like, I guess that's sort of, that's for future, future me to deal with. <laughs> you can worry about that in next year or the yeah. year after. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So you gave us a good uh, gem before about like how, doing sport and study helps you balance and it complements each other but is there a lesson that you've learned along the way that you'd want to share either to your you know your younger self or to someone out there for me probably like the big lesson that I that I learned was like if you've sort of got a big goal to like break it down and sort of like chip away at it because like if you for for myself like the events that I do like we sort of we have one worlds a year so we're training 11 months of the year to race once a year. Mm. So like my goal, or one big, but one big race a year. So like the big goal is to perform at the world championships every year or to make the, to make the big team. But you can't just have like that one big target 12 months ahead of time because you're going to lose focus or it'll feel like it's too far away. So I think like the, the lesson that I learned was like, you sort of have to break your targets down and you mm. sort of have to like set smaller goals for yourself and like, as you tick off the smaller boxes where you, you, tick, you reach those smaller goals, then it's sort of like building yourself up and up and sort of improving. And I guess helping you get to that bigger goal. Um, so like whether it was, I guess, whether like you could use it for, for kids that are in school or like if you're, if you're aiming to go to uni or you're aiming to go well in that test is to like chip away at it and set yourself a small target to maybe sort of go well in the practice quizzes or something like that and sort of go well in this and then like that'll set you up for the next level so I think yeah just trying to don't get overwhelmed by the big goal and sort of set yourself the small target or if you're feeling overwhelmed yeah Mm -hmm. don't get sort of caught up in the big goal and just like build yourself towards it yeah I really like that that stepping stone progress and you you know you've got to take the first few steps before you can reach the top of the mountain yeah yeah Oh, that's yeah. a good one. I don't think we've had that one either. Look at you. <laughs> that's awesome. I really like that lesson. Another part, I guess, of this podcast is, and you'd probably see it, how important sport is, yes, for the individual, but also like the benefit it can have on the community and at a community level. Have you been involved in anything where sport's been used as a tool to help the community? The RAS have like, they're sort of in the past few, past few years, they've really sort of, been involved in mental health and that side of things. And I've had the opportunity to, in the past two years, work with two of the programs that they've had. So they offer for athletes each year, they offer like a, a program with sort of a couple of different sort of mental health organizations. So like the first year I applied uh, and I worked with like Lifeline for a year. So like we went out to all these like regional, sort of regional towns or, or schools and like chatted to them about sort of about us and about how athletes also go through the same mental mm-hmm. health issues that like everyone else does and that even though we put up in this limelight that we're all the same and that we all have like these daily struggles so like I did that sort of the, the first year and that was really cool because like we went out to Broken Hill we went to all these communities and we sort of like spoke with the kids and they spoke to us and we sort of heard their stories so yeah I've been I've been involved with that which was like really cool and then last year I did there was an opportunity to do it with the um, Black Dog Mental Health Institute. So I sort of, yeah, I was a part of them and that program was going out and talking to schools, sort of local schools. So like delivering a, a content and delivering a program about sort of balancing, I guess, your, your your daily mental health and dealing with like 
that was presented to kids from like year nine to year 12. So it was about like the stress of sort of, mm. I guess, growing up and sort of developing into an adult and those sort of things. So like we used our, I guess, sort of shared our tools that we learn as athletes and how we use it in daily lives and how that we can, I guess, transfer it in how they can use it in their daily lives as well. So yeah, that's been, that's been pretty cool to do. Yeah. And it's such an important thing to like discuss. And I, I like that you mentioned it, that elite athletes like are at the end of the day, just humans. And the thoughts that everyone has about, you know, maybe being anxious about a university exam, well, you have that too. And though you have yeah. it to compare to Tokyo, like you still get nervous about those things. And yeah, like just to say, and I think we need to maybe normalize. And I think maybe the last few years we have started to is normalize athletes don't need to be put on a pedestal and have that pressure if they do break down like it's okay because we all do and have have that safe space you know for elite athletes to talk about their feelings and their mental health without and I guess it is changing like it might have been 10 years ago where they would have been seen as weak whereas we're having like Olympians pull out of the gymnastics team because yeah of mental health like like I love that that happened yeah yeah like I think give it and then like just showing them that like just because I guess that their problems or what they they might be experiencing isn't like it's a big deal to them even though they might not think it's a big mm. deal like sort of I guess sort of maybe like a world championships is a stressful situation for us but it's probably in their world that their most stressful thing it might be at the moment might be sort of something going on at home or something mm-hmm. like that like it doesn't make it any better or any sort of like it doesn't I guess downgrade what they're going through so yeah, like it was, it was definitely it's like a cool experience to, I guess, chat to them like one-on-one afterwards and that sort of stuff as well. And just say like, hey, we're, I've been in the same boat as you. Like it's I like not, I guess, like the sort of I understand or that I mm. know what you're going through, I guess, in a way. Yeah, and it helps the person. I think any, any mental health issues, like I know I've got anxiety, but it helps to know that there are people out there that you know have felt similar feelings yeah and to be not alone and not the only one who's experiencing that it does like yeah it does help (laughs) yeah yeah and I guess like it shows them that if sort of where if we're going there and if we're sort of sharing our story with them then it encourages them to I guess share their story with it whether it's like a friend or a family just encouraging them to like speak out I guess if they want to yeah oh that's amazing work and it's a good space to be in I think um and yeah especially I don't know why athletes have always been put in the the strong category in terms of like they can't speak about it but it's when athletes are speaking about it 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 breaks down those barriers and it does make it a bit easier for everyone yeah definitely (laughs) so my last question it's a loaded one are you ready all right yeah (laughs) yeah where do you see the future of sport oh all right oh well I'll go I'll go with para sport because mm-hmm. like, I reckon that's like sort of where I'm in. Like that's sort of my sort of area. It feels like over the past, I guess, sort of few years, it's really grown. Like you saw this year, like I remember watching the Rio, the Rio Paralympics on TV and it felt big, but this year's one, like sort of, I didn't get to watch as much of the coverage uh, being over there, but it just felt like it was sort of in terms of like media attention and like, the reach that I got sort of outside of it, like beforehand, the messages that I got from people, sort of friends that I like went to high school with that hadn't mm-hmm. spoke to for a few years. Like, I guess the awareness and the growth of the sport is getting a lot bigger. And like the coverage that Channel 7 had and some of the airtime that we got, it was pretty surprising. And I think it like, it showed that 
can't remember who started it, but there was a there was a fund that was started for like the equal payment for the medals. Mm-hmm. And within like a couple of weeks, they'd almost like peer pressured the prime minister into giving out equal money. So it was cool to almost see that like I guess the the country was behind us. So it'll like watch it grow that way. And like I've had messages, or we've, all, I guess, yeah, myself and other athletes, we've had messages, and people are like, oh, what can we do to to sort of help like improve your sport or help grow your sport mm-hmm. and I guess it's like I guess it's like most sports it's just sort of getting people to watch and engage so like to see to see the reaction from the public and how invested people were in the Paralympic Games was yeah was really eye-opening and I guess it's like you just you don't know you don't know how big I think like the gap the gap between like it used to be like the Olympics and then the Paralympics was like the after show mm. and I think they're slowly like they're slowly getting sort of closer towards the olympics in terms of like the event as a whole mm-hmm. i've been sort of had like conversations and like discussions with other people and they're like will it ever sort of be one event we don't know like you don't know but like there's positives and negatives i guess of that being one event but i think yeah like the the gap and like the attention or the yeah like the, the media attention that we've got has been really really unreal and i guess it shows people that we're just athletes that happen to have a disability we just we train as hard as everyone else I guess if not more because we start from that step behind everyone else so yeah I think it's exciting and I think it's a good time it's a good time to be in the sport yeah it is certainly exciting and I know the moment when ScoMo announced the equal pay I was like oh my gosh like yes like this should have happened 10-15 years ago but like the fact that it's happened now is such a huge thing especially for kids like coming up into the sport like seeing that seeing you guys on the tv with equal coverage like that was I think such a big thing I know from a swimming background I used to I don't know if you know Ellie Cole or if you know of Ellie Cole the swimmer yeah yeah I know that yeah she grew up in the same swim club as I did so everyone knew who Ellie Cole was down in my local area and I used to try to watch the even the nationals to be honest and they would switch off the coverage and go to an ad break when her events came on. And I used to get so upset and frustrated. And this is back, you know, years and years ago, like 2012. Yeah. And I used to get so frustrated because I was only watching that night for her and it wasn't even on. Yeah, right. Yeah. So even like the fact that I guess like Amazon Prime had this, the Olympic and Paralympic trials for swimming, but like the fact that everything was there together and they didn't cut anything out, like you got to see all of that was so good. And, and even the coverage that Channel 7 had for the Paralympics, like it was phenomenal. And like this backstory, yeah. like you get, you got to know the athletes behind it. And yeah, the whole country was behind you guys. Yeah, yeah. Like I know when we when we got over there, like sort of the, they said, because we were, sort of, we had like a media liaison there through Channel 7. And they were saying like, even before it had started, like all the snippets and all the build up, they said like the demand was far exceeding what they were expecting. Mm. um so like they sort of they sent out all these things and they sent out questionnaires and we had to fill out all these bits and pieces so when we were all racing they had like all this information on us which mm-hmm. I think yeah as you said like it it made sort of it made that I guess it made the viewing seem like they were invested in what they were presenting and they weren't just like okay here's such and such racing mm. and now we're going to cut to such and such they were actually invested in sharing I guess our stories as athletes so yeah and I guess like it just I remember like as they went on and like during the first week they were like they've just sort of exceeded all the coverage that they were expecting to get and they were putting on more and <laughs> doing a part of the lights and all this sort of stuff and yeah it was it was pretty cool it was pretty cool to see. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think it's a good step towards the future as well. Like I think, yeah, like you mentioned before, they're, they're coming closer together in terms of equality and I can't see it going bad. Like I can only see it getting better. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see whether I'm still competing by um, Brisbane like 2032. It'll be interesting to see what happens there regardless, like what Australia can do. I could have I guess, just even like Paris in three years' time, whether like each, the, the goal is, I guess, that each country picks up from where the other country sort of left off and mm-hmm. continues to grow and continues to, I guess, provide opportunities and provide like the, the next step, I guess, for the athletes coming through. Yeah, I think it's certainly bright and it's certainly exciting. And I'm excited to watch how far you go now. Like <laughs> now that I know your story, I'm invested and I'm cheering for you. So you've got a supporter here. <laughs> Oh, that'll be good. Cool. That's that's funny. (laughs) Well, Gordon, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story and and your insights. Like you've come with some new new gems and I really like that. I didn't, it's been over a year of the podcast now and you've brought something new. So thank you so much. No, thanks for having me. It's been, it's been pretty cool to have a chat. I guess share my insight and share some stories. Yeah, it's been awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Beyond Sport with Fiona Stewart. This is a completely independent podcast that has been created to share the journey and lessons of top level sporting professionals, but also your everyday lover of sport. If you liked this podcast, I'd really appreciate if you could leave a review and share it with someone who you think would also enjoy it. Until next time.